Hi, I'm Stuart Huff. At night, I'm a stand-up comedian, but during the day, I spend my time roaming through junk shops that hopefully smell like mildew. I'm not looking for antiques. No, I'm looking for items that spark my curiosity. And if they're the right price, then they come home with me. This podcast is accurately named Stuart Huff's Obsessive Curiosities. Welcome to another episode of Stuart Huff's Obsessive Curiosities. You see that? I nailed it. You got it. That's great. Boom. Right off the top. Just nailed it. <laughs> Practice I just, makes perfect. I just woke up out of bed, stepped up to the plate, one swing, game over. Dude. <laughs> Yeah, you really That's should impressive. know the name of your own podcast. Hey, so it's a little, it's a little, it's a little early to be patting yourself on the back for knowing the name of your show. <laughs> I'm happy when I do things that I ought to do. <laughs> you know, not things I excel at. Okay. Uh, all right, we have uh, fantastic guests here uh, today. This is uh, we have Lowell with us. Hello, Stuart. There's Tom. there's Lowell's voice, uh, the wonderful Lowell. Uh, who, if you've heard the podcast before, you know Lowell. He's the he's the breakout star. Yes, <laughs> he's the you really are. He came out of nowhere. He just he just comes out of nowhere and takes over the I've, whole thing. I've considered blocking him on Facebook just because <laughs> of his eloquence on my posts. And that's Tom's wonderful voice, Tom Simmons. <laughs> Hello, and Tom and Lowell. Did you guys meet before this podcast face to face? Yeah, just uh, at Wiley's in yeah, Dayton. Dayton and Wiley's. Oh, yeah, you okay. You introduced us. Okay, okay, yeah. You guys met there. And then Tom Tom has a wonderful way with Facebook. He gets he, he drives his Facebook with emotion and humor, those two things. And Lowell, and so Tom will post something, and then people just start arguing, and Lowell jumps in and writes a novel, <laughs> which is gorgeous to read. Right. right? There's not as much arguing anymore. Really? Oh, maybe that's not. Good. I have been busy of late. I did. I told Stuart that <laughs> last night. I've been too busy. You've been and, too and busy. You blocked the one guy that I was always having to hammer. Yeah, I had to. That had to happen. Yeah, that I'll, story, talk, I'll talk to you about that story. That's Tom's going to tell you that story after we okay. when we press stop. On right. Because we're not going to tell the story. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. Um, now, what we're going to talk about today? I'm. I wish that I knew more about this but i i know i've read a couple books on it i i really like this i really love this whole idea the so let's just let's just jump in and, and see how excited i get all right now uh the first thing that i ever found on this was this is a postcard standard issue uh postcard that i'm holding and it's uh it's what they called a uh it's a picture postcard it's an actual photograph you know, on the front and on the back, you know, so you can, you know, put your name and, and a stamp and write a message and everything. Okay, so the, there's not much room for message. It looks like it's all typed in. Yeah, it, that's right. It's I'm, I'll read that. Um, there's room for address and there's no room for writing a message. That's true. It's kind of like they've already written the message. Yeah. So let's let's tell you about the front first. This is a black and white picture. The it. it there is a uh, it's the, the picture's pretty full of of people sitting in chairs in rows and they're obviously listening to someone they're all focused towards the front so they're listening to someone talk you know uh, there's a, a, a definite mixture of African American and white people uh, Martin Luther King is in the front row and I recognized him and that's probably what drew my eye to this postcard like what 
Okay. It just and got me more, way more interested in it. It's very interesting how that just happened to me. Really? Like you just saying that he's in the picture. I was like, well, all right. And I'm a little uh, now you're Now you're a little hooked. Yeah, it, that's probably what happened to me was I was probably, because I don't really look at postcards in junk shops. I don't collect postcards. Right. A lot of people do, but. Really? Um, that's a thing people do? Oh, yeah. People collect. Some of them are very valuable. It's nuts. <laughs> anyway. Really? And I was probably, one likely, I was walking by and I saw Martin Luther King's face and I and I stopped and went, what is this? Now, at the top of this postcard, so we have a, a black and white picture of a large group of people looking towards the front, obviously listening to someone speak. Uh, and at the top, it says, a training school for communists. So then I'm like, whoa, what is, what? What is this? Martin Luther King is at a training school for communists? What is this? So I pick up the postcard uh, on the back, where where like Tom said, where you would write your message to your loved one or your mm-hmm. friend or whatever, it says. I'm going to read it here. It says identifications at the top, and then the text says, "The picture on the other side was made at Highlander Folk School during the Labor Day weekend of 1957. Attentive pupils identified by the numbers are, uh, and there are some of these people on the front have numbers. Like Martin Luther King has number one. These two gentlemen have three and four. So they're identifying these people. Uh, number one, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, the association uh, uh, indicted here is not unusual for Dr. King, who belongs to several important communist front organizations <laughs> and who regularly employs or affiliates with known communists. Number two, uh, the person labeled number two is Abner Barry of the Central Committee of the Communist Party. Number three, Aubrey Williams, president of the Communist Front, the Southern Conference Education Fund. Number four is Miles Horton, director of the Highlander Folk School, in parentheses, for communist training <laughs> in Mont Eagle, Tennessee. This school was later closed down by the state of Tennessee, but an offspring is now thriving in Knoxville. And then it, the, the who put out this postcard, it says American Opinion. That must have been the organization that put out this postcard. From Belmont, Massachusetts, uh, 02178. A uh, subsidiary of J. Edgar Hoover Publishing. There you go. This is uh, <laughs> so. I find this postcard and I buy this is a quarter or something. I have no idea. I've never heard of Highlander. I Martin Luther King's the only person uh, that I know at all in, involved in this. Did you look it up any of those other names? I looked see? up all the other names and I read about them and I read about Miles Horton and and Abner and then I, I read about the Highlander Folk School. And this is some amazing unknown history. Okay. This is what this is. I'm Does it have... Passing the postcard to Tom. Is it related at all to Highlander, the movie? No, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm sorry. Right. To my knowledge, it's not related. There, uh, there could be some Kevin Bacon links. I don't, <laughs> I don't, think, Kevin, I don't think Kevin Bacon was in Highlander. You... Oh, but I get... Oh, you're getting glasses? Okay. Yeah. Now, let's talk about Highlander for a minute here now I, oh i have to i have to say this before we go any further you recognized this young of a martin luther king jr yeah he popped out you, you don't it doesn't look like martin luther king to you it did it did to me maybe it just caught my eye in the right way or something i just i saw his yeah, face yeah yeah i mean he's very young he's very yeah it's his face is like the what the face the pictures i have in my head of him are his face is fuller yeah but when he he gets all yeah, that is a very young Martin Luther King Jr. 
um, in all honesty, let's just be honest right up front, Lowell. I, Lowell, I do not tell the guests on this podcast what we're going to be talking about. It's not really like uh, I want to shock them. It's like I just want people to sit around and talk about things without researching in depth. And I want them to have their on, their real honest thoughts and opinions, right? But Lowell, like a child on Christmas Eve, <laughs> Sends me a Facebook message about a month ago before we came here and said, come on, give me a little taste. Come on. And he was half kidding and half not. And I, I wrote back, right? And yes. I said, You're, I'm not telling you. You don't, you don't get to know. I was only slightly exasperated. Right. Wanted to know about what we're going to talk about? about? He, wanted, he wanted some items, you know. Okay. He, want, he wanted to prepare and be prepared. Well, I think he just, I think he was a, it was a joke, but he, he just was excited about Yes. Uh, about, you know, what are we going to be talking about? You know? Can we start tomorrow? Yeah. So, uh, and I had watched a video of Miles Horton with... Uh, Bill Moyers. Bill Moyers. From what? What did you say? 75, 72. 80? 72. Was it that old? 72? 72. No, no, 82. I'm sorry. 82. 82 because Nixon, or I mean, uh, Reagan was in office. Reagan was in office. 82. 82. Bill so you Moyers. know about this. You know about this school, yes. and you know about Miles Horton, and you yes. I I didn't know. I had read uh, "Parting the Waters," uh, the uh, biography of the King years, but I did a historian's read. I was only looking for the portions of it that that were relevant to the topic I was looking for. So I'd glossed over all the references to the Highlander School in in that that book. Right. So it didn't. So it didn't resonate read, with me. It didn't resonate. You didn't. So you didn't go in depth on Highlander and learn no. about that. So he had heard of Highlander. Lowell had Tom. Right. But he didn't. You know. So anyway, I see this Bill Moyers 1982 video, which was fantastic. You, I'm, I'm recommending everybody listening. It's on YouTube. Find it. And I thought, you know what? I want to describe Miles Horton, the guy that started Highlander. Right. It's Bill Moyers interviewing Miles Horton before he died. I want to be able to describe him accurately, and Lowell is bugging me like a child for <laughs> to know what's coming. So I sent him the link to this, and I said, watch this. Here's one thing we're going to talk about. Watch this. So I have Lowell to back me up to, to help me explain Miles Horton. They call him, or they called him before he died, I guess, the radical hillbilly. Okay, I like that. Yeah, me too. I like that too, the radical hillbilly. So yeah. Did anybody pitch that to uh, Trey before they went with liberal redneck? <laughs> that would have been good. The radical hillbilly tour. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What was you had a thing that people that some writer called you early on? Like what was the? I don't what, remember. It was something similar to that. Yeah. I don't remember it. Those two words, radical hillbilly. There's something that actually shocked me a little bit. We did it. That 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 was all right. That that's okay. I mean, the H words are people's word. Yeah, right. We use it amongst ourselves. Yeah, Lowell is, you know, you're a hillbilly. Oh, yeah. I mean, really? How would you, would, you, would you say a hill? What's the, what, like. My family's from Eastern Kentucky. Well, that, yeah, but yeah, that's easy to just be like, you're a hillbilly. But what does that, what what does that mean to you? Like, you might to be a hillbilly. anybody from or, the Appalachian Mountains or the Piedmont area, that's a hillbilly to me. Somebody who lives back up the hollers. Yeah. Have made their Somebody living uses digging words in like the hollers. Dirt. Yes, that's what yeah. I was saying. Anybody that uses a word like holler is a hillbilly. <laughs> yeah. Right? right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a I geographical agree. term right there. I agree. Uh, my mom grew up uh, near a holler, right? And her uh, her parents, uh, I hope I get this right, 
lived in. I can't remember the name of the holler, but yeah, that was that was where they lived was in this holler, and they lived in a house with no. It was a dirt floor, and their furniture was really literally, yes. Their furniture were tree stumps that they'd cut down. That was where the chairs. That's a when holler. Slack newspaper yeah. on the wall to keep the window. Newspaper on the windows and walls. Uh, yeah. yeah. They call it a holler because you, you you're in you're in the a valley between mountains and you can so you can yell Tom dinner and it you hear you wait a second and you hear it again it bounces back off Tom dinner that's twice I've told you get your ass in here <laughs> <laughs> so they called Miles Horton the radical hillbilly he was uh, born in Tennessee Miles Horton mm-hmm. born in Tennessee up in the mountains uh, he wants to be an educator when he's a kid he wants to be a teacher. Uh, but he's not happy with the current system, the education system. So he wants to do something different, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hit the important points here so we can get to the meat. Uh, he ends up going, meeting some people, a preacher, friend of his, who has some like-minded ideas about how the education system is not for our people, our hillbillies. How old is he at this time? He's a young man. He's okay. in his teens, you know, and, and, you know, again, I'm not... You need to look it up yourself. Yes, it's forming while he's at Cumberland Presbyterian College. I'm yes. I'm going to look it up myself. Can't you just tell me? You did the research. <laughs> All right. Maybe, you maybe, sound so American maybe we right now. <laughs> yeah, we shouldn't have gotten Tom on the podcast talking about education when he's like, I'm not going to do it myself. <laughs> All right, so short version, Miles ends up um, – learning about the Danish schools, the folk schools in, in, in Danish folk schools. And he opens a school in Mont Eagle, Tennessee called the Highlander folk school. Okay. The idea behind the school is this learning about Shakespeare and all this stuff is great, but it's not meaningful to people's lives that are poor and struggling. They're working in a mill. They have, they're making no money. They're going broke. They've got kids. They're trying to feed. You know, learning about Dante and and all that stuff is fine. But we need an education system that is going to teach the people in this area how to unite and make their lives better. And Dante and Shakespeare don't do that? Uh, I would say that, well, definitely in in Miles' opinion, from what I gleaned from, from his personality, he would say no. Okay. I would say they're, they, you know, those are enhancements. Those are enrichments, and they're, yes, they're probably a luxury. You know, if you've gotten to a certain point economically and socially, uh, that's a luxury that you're afforded but those to, aren't, to but spend your academic life that way. But there's not core sort of ideals and messages that teach some of that within those plays. That's not what makes them or the, or the, or the Dante story. I, haven't, I don't me, really know either one because Shakespeare's unreadable to me and – I don't have never me, read Dante, me, but you know what I mean. Me, like, there's those stories; those core stories are there to teach a human human lesson, right? That's probably yes, why. But let me so. pause. Let me pause, Tom, right now, and let me add one chunk of information, and then I think that answer this. Okay? okay. Let me add one chunk of information. Miles's idea. Miles Horton started Highlander Folk School. His idea was a teacher should shut up. That a, a teacher is their, their job is not to teach a bunch of people and those people memorize something and regurgitate it and then you get an A. That's that's not education. His idea was you gather together a, a bunch of people, 
You know, you're in the mountains in Tennessee. These farmers and these factory workers and mill workers, they're poor and starving. They're making no money. And the, the bosses are making all the money. And they're, they're, they're literally starving to death in, in, in many cases, right? They all have the same uh, problems. All the neighbors, all the people that live in the holler, they all have the same problems. You get them together in a room and let them start talking, and then they will realize and figure out, hey, we're the same. And then you can step in and go, okay, how are we going to fix this? One person learning Shakespeare is not going to change the system. A hundred hillbillies coming together and realizing that they're all being screwed by one guy that owns the mill, they can change the system. Right. So Miles's idea was you get them all in a room, Black or white doesn't matter. This was a time before, you know, this is this is a time when black and white people in the South, apparently, you know, especially, were not never in a building together like this, communicating, talking equally. Miles, from the get go, this was a integrated school, all you know, black and white together, talking about their problems, realizing they're all similar, and if they unite together then they can strike and they can demand higher wages. They, they have power collectively. So how long before they killed him? <laughs> well, there's very, several stories where they, very they did Very accurate punchline, my friend. <laughs> but that the, is the reason, in my cut. opinion, you're one of the greatest comics in the country. That was extremely accurate. It's exactly what I love about this and hate about this. Now, would you say you answer? that it's an accurate description to say that Miles Horton's idea of a teacher is a facilitator. Yes, that he suggested yes. that everybody was a vast reservoir of knowledge. What you were teaching them was how to mine the knowledge they already had. Yes. Basically, today, when you and I would talk about it, we would say, why aren't they teaching logic in the schools from you know, grade school on? And that's essentially what he was doing, giving them the tools to mine their already organic knowledge mm-hmm. and to utilize it. Because that's the, the the big discrepancy we have now in the culture. You can go to school, you can get all the papers you want, but lots of people are never exposed to rhetoric, logic. They can't form an argument, no premises that lead to conclusions. That's why we have a hard time discussing anything. It's a bunch of emotive, mm-hmm. you know, the spewing instead of people talking about their idea, how they formed it. Yeah, the, uh, that's very well put, Lowell. That's ex- Miles, yeah. is, it's a radical. The word radical is perfect for Miles because this is a radical vision on how to educate. So did he come up with this idea? And by the way, the Shakespeare, I, didn't, I wasn't disagreeing with Miles. I just, it was just a, just a general question to be like, well, what about those people would yeah. are, I think people would argue that those things are important. You oh, know? I would argue that they are important too. But I'm thinking like reason- Joseph Campbell sort of like that we only have so many stories and we we repeat those and some yeah and those are just really good versions of one of those seven sort of ways I agree of getting I agree with you across. I agree with you Tom totally I mean I I think that's the reason I said I'm going to pause Tom and add this because this is not a, a school they had no grades they they weren't there to get a piece of paper they're not credentialed they issue no right. degrees they issue no degrees and it was an adult school there's no kids this was. Basically, if you can imagine a small southern town where poverty level is enormous, right? One family has all the money in the town. Everybody else is starving, but yet they're working 60, 70 hours a week in a mill 
trying to feed their nine children. Miles comes in and brings all the poor people into a room and says, you guys talk. And then he, he listens. That's all he did. He listened. And then they started talking and realizing, you know, and they're complaining. Of course, people complain. I'm, you know, I'm making, I'm making 20 cents an hour. He's paying you 20 cents an hour. I didn't know that. I'm making 15 cents an oh, hour. Oh, wow. The guy's complaining. The other guy's like, I got it worse than that. Yeah. The woman's over there like, I'm getting three cents. And then they all realize that they're all getting screwed. And then they get mad. And then they start combining and, and, and coming together. And then he can talk about strikes. How do you strike? You know, how does a group of people stop working at the meal and walk off the job and demand, uh, you know, more safety issues, demand a higher wage? How do you how do you go from my life sucks to our life could be better? So was that, that was Miles' direction? So was then so is back to him being a, labeled a communist in that thing? Is that so? That's communism, right? Okay. That's so. Let's move this forward and answer that question. Uh, the Highlander Folk School started with he any issue that was that was his in Miles's uh, approach was he's a Southerner he's a hillbilly I want to help my community I want to help my people so he opened a school in Mount Eagle Tennessee and helped those people and what those people needed and the school opened in 1932 what they needed then was. They were all factory workers, mill workers, and they needed to learn how to strike, how to form a union. Yes. They needed to for- form a union together and increase their, their livelihood. And then, you know, the 50s, it started, another problem started to poke its head up. You know, the civil rights is starting to get a little spark on it. So then they're there for that. A Highlander was there for that. This is when all the communists. Well, that's after they had falling out with the CIO. Because he really started as a union organizer, more or less. Yeah, yeah. And was really the official organizer and educator for the CIO in that region. Mm-hmm. But then the CIO, of course, became more corrupt as they got more money and the more union, power. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the, they weren't above accusing him of being a communist, too, in order to separate themselves from him. And that's yeah. when he found civil rights as a movement. Yeah, and I think the postcard is a civil rights communist, mm-hmm. you know, uh, accusatory thing. But... Another thing about the, the when the unions started to get a little more corrupt and started, you know, and Miles started getting upset about the unions, uh, they were also uh, a lot of them were racist. You know, they didn't allow African Americans in their union. That that drove Miles crazy. You know, okay. how can you how can you come together as a unit and fight for better wages when you're not allowing half of the people in your town to be in part of your union? His story about the farmers coming together to form the union. Mm -hmm. And so the white farmers forming this union and and two black gentlemen show up. And they come running to Miles. They're like, well, what are they doing here? (laughs) He goes, well, why don't you go ask them? I presume they're farmers. So they go out and start talking to them, and pretty soon they figure out they're just farmers too. Right. So they invite them into their movement. Once they realize that they have this common ground, they're just farmers as well. They're not black guys and we're white guys and why are they here we're trying to do a farmer thing right they're just black farmers and I, then they're just farmers yeah i'm glad you remember that story Lowell, because that story it's i hope i'm explaining this well that story goes to the root of what miles's idea was some someone some upset white farmers that don't like black people some racists right. come up to miles and go why are they why are these black people here 
Miles doesn't give them a a, a thirty minute lecture on you know racism and the evils of. He looks at them and says, "I don't know. Go ask them." It's funny. Yeah. That you know that's his vision. Is I'm not here to teach. I'm here to listen and everybody talk. He directed. He just kind of you know it's kind of like trying to direct a, a wave. The you know and that's that's his. So you knowing this, like you knowing this about education, and you knowing that like you like his like a guy's like this vision of it that you obviously agree with and admire, right? How do you then balance that with your own kids going through school in like in the modern day? Because it's not much different. They're teaching you oh, facts. Montessori school is a whole lot different. Yeah, okay. I mean my my kids in Montessori school. Yeah, um, it's, so it's yeah, it's it's very different than the public system. But it's not this. It's not Highlander, you know. But Highlander, how much different is Montessori than public school, really, or charter school? I don't know that much about charter schools. There's no grades in Montessori. Um, they're well well ahead of the public school. That's the number one problem with Montessori, at least in the, where where I'm at, is when. You know, there's no Montessori high school in my town. So when the kids from Montessori graduate, quote unquote, from the Montessori school, right. then they would enter as a freshman into public high school. They're at a junior level. Right. Uh, so that's the number one problem with Montessori is either they're ahead or the public system's behind, depending on which way you want to look at it. Okay. So the kids are bored, you know. So then there's a push now, thank goodness, to open more Montessori high schools. You know, so they can just keep going instead of being drugged back. But okay. I think Miles wasn't looking at educating kids. He was looking at helping adults realize that they have the answers. They have they already have the knowledge in them. And he wasn't talking about, you know, Robert Frost and memorizing the meaning of, of Frost's poetry or anything. He was talking about. He was that you know that type of education. I would agree with you is important and fascinating. And, I'm not. I'm. Not, I would never argue that learning Robert Frost is important for education. Okay. <laughs> Miles's idea of education was: here's a group of humans that are all they all need help, and they all have the answers. If we if we invite them over here into this building and let them all talk, they'll figure it out themselves. You know, I just need to keep the lemonade flowing. You know? That's very helpful, man. That's very helpful. I just feel like you put a hundred people in a room. It's oh, they argue and they and they yell and they scream. I mean, when you some of the stories that that you know when you when you re- start reading about Miles and and some of the stuff he did, it is amazing that he didn't just give up and walk away. I mean, he failed all the time. Well, he had the one group of students that came to him, four students came to him in his room and insisted that he show them how to organize for this <laughs> protest. And he said, yeah. well, that's not my job. I brought you here. You talk about it. You have the knowledge. Go go organize yourself. And they kept insisting. He kept – somebody finally pulled a gun on him and okay. said, you will organize this. Yeah. He says, yeah, yeah well, no, I won't. <laughs> you're going to have to organize it yourself. Are you going to shoot me over this? Right, yeah. I mean, that was his position was he's not going to tell you how to do it. You figure out how to do it. Wow. I don't, it's weird. I don't know anything about this guy. It's like, it's fascinating. I he's, feel like they should have made a movie about it. how yes. efficient all of our, our educations are <laughs> in our own history. Uh, that story. Um, 
It's I funny that it. the point that we don't know who he is is exactly sort of the point he was making. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. I specifically wanted you two guys on this topic because it, it hits both of you in different ways, I think, you know, which what your interests are, you know. Um, Miles Horton opened Highlander School in 1932 and became – oh, the U, that's what I was going to do. The unions – oh, my gosh, this is incredible. I can't imagine the patience. Miles even said he was amazed that this happened – that he was able to get out of the situation. He was in somewhere in North Carolina, if I remember correctly, helping people picket and form a union so they could get a higher wage, you know? Right. And the town, small town, they, of course, half of the people loved him and half the people hated him, which is his, his entire life. The bosses hated him. The government hated him. That's the reason they labeled him a communist and all this other stuff. You know, the police hated him. Uh, so anyway, he was staying in a little apartment uh, helping these people and it was right across the street from the police office uh, right sheriff's office sheriff's yes, office and at one point miles it's kind of in the evening miles realizes there's nobody on the streets like there's usually people walking around and there's usually a cop driving up and down the street the sheriff's Every, padlocked his door yeah everything's the sheriff's office is closed it's like high noon yeah it's high noon everybody's <laughs> left so he starts to Get a little, and he's he's standing in his second floor uh, this uh, at the window, and a car pulls up, and four guys get out with guns, and they start coming towards you know his place. So obviously, you know, they they've been hired to kill him. So he opens the window, and uh, and he and he goes, "You guys looking for me? Are you that communist organizer? Yep, that's me." Yeah, we're here to kill you. I said, well, yeah, it, it appears so. Wow. appears so. Uh, we don't need people around here organizing. We don't need it. No, you do. You need organizing. You need organizing. No, we don't need organizers in this town. We don't need organizers in this town. Now, you might not think you need organizers, but you do. You boys right, right here, you need to be organized. You boys need to be organized. What? We, what do you mean we need to be organized? You, th- you four. I'm going to organize you right now. I'm going to really. See, this is what he did. Oh, yeah, this is a great story. This is a great story. He goes, "I'm going to organize you right now." So you, you four boys, you have guns, but what you don't know is I got a gun too. And he pulls out. He he had a pistol, right? And he shows it to him. And he goes, "I got a gun. You four got guns, and you're going to come up here and you're yeah, you're going to kill me. That's yes. I'm going to die today. I'm going to die. <laughs> but I'm going to shoot at least two of you. So two of you are definitely going to die. I might get three. If I'm lucky, one of you is going to come through the front door. I'm going to shoot you. You're gone. The second one's coming through. I'm going to shoot you, too. I might get a third before you hit me. So what you boys need to do is organize amongst yourselves and figure out which two of you are going to die. <laughs> right. And they just stood there, stared at him, and went, screw it. And they got back in their car and drove away. Wow. <laughs> uh, that's wonderful. How that's do you have that story. clarity of thought? Not to just panic and get under the bed. <laughs> well, I mean, for, well, you have the high ground, or not? Why not shoot him while you got the high ground? Yeah, well, that's another interesting thing about him. Don't let me stop this podcast without talking about nonviolence with Miles Horton. Mm-hmm. We have to talk about that. Okay, but I want to talk right now about this idea. Tom and I brought this up last night at four a.m. Uh, out here on the sidewalk. One of the, I'm going to embarrass Lowell, but we're going to we're honest. We're just going to say honest. One Tom and I were talking about Lowell outside. Don't say that. Nobody who ever says they're honest is honest. <laughs> well, okay. Okay. Um, 
<laughs> One of the things I like about Lowell, and Tom agreed with, is Lowell actually listens, which is, I mean, that's as rare as, you know, a purple owl. Um, I don't know. I just thought of it. That's that's a good reference. Uh, Lowell, when you're having a conversation with Lowell, he he listens to what you're saying. He, in, in other words, he doesn't wait for you to shut up so he can teach you why you're wrong. <laughs> he, Lowell, I've seen it. Would happen. your wife agree with that? Uh, my wife waits for me to shut up so she can tell me why I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay, I would I've I would argue that I've seen this happen between Tom and Lowell, where Lowell will be saying something and Tom will say, "But what about?" x or what about this that seems contradictory yeah to what you said before and lowell will stop and go huh okay it's a really good point yeah and actually think about what tom just said that that's miles's entire thing is to listen if you want to teach you should be doing more listening than you are talking so how do you learn to listen how do you learn to shut down your own mind from talking to you instead of well i, I in part uh it's a very sound strategy. This is this is going to sound strange, but it's a very sound strategy in business. One of the things you want to be is the last person to speak in like a meeting. Hmm. So I'll watch my watch and I'll bide my time and I'll let everybody have their peace. Right. And then when the meeting's near its end and I know that I can do a soliloquy that's going to end the thing, <laughs> I'll have my part. And but that's the last thing anybody else. Does. I've listened to everybody else's peace. Mm-hmm. And then I, the, the lasting impression is the the last thing said. So I usually try to have the last word if I can. If my boss is there, I'll defer and let her have it. But let me ask you this question, Lowell. It, while you're sitting there listening to to everybody else, that's a way more disappointing answer than I wanted to hear. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> like, you wanted Flash Gordon? I don't know. I didn't. It um, sounds like you're like I know this is how you can win the thing. Like this is in business, this works best. So this is what I do. It's Instead a good of strategy. Like, like most things, uh, they form from strategies. There's nothing romantic about it. It's not a disposition of mine. But here's the thing that it's interests something that's me. Worked over time. Okay. While you're so sitting there, process. you are indeed listening to everybody else. Sure. Oh, absolutely. You're not snoozing or I'm amalgamating of, portions, about, uh, I'm discarding portions. And and, w- and if it's dumb enough, my eyes glaze over. Well, okay. But if someone says something, does it then? Let's say that you you pretty sure. Okay, you're pretty sure at the end of this meeting you got a pretty good grasp of what you're going to say. Okay, can someone say something that knocks that off and changes it, adds sure. something to it? Absolutely. That's missing. That to me, that is a rare commodity. Did you recognize, like, did you recognize that in meetings and stuff like that, or? Did you, your natural disposition just sort of led to that, or did you recognize and then work at? Okay, I'm gonna. I want to say right now, but I'm gonna wait and listen and hold it till the end. Or did, it's not a natural disposition; it's learned. Okay. I think that one of the two of the things uh, that influenced me most in that area was a course in logic that I took. Okay. From that, you learn that all discourse can be mapped out like a mathematical formula. Premises lead to conclusions. Fallacious premises lead to false conclusions. If you just keep that in mind in any conversation you're having, then you know you don't attack the other person. Generally, you don't attack their conclusion. You go for the fallacious premise that led to the conclusion. Say, here's what you stated. I try to summarize what they said. Is that what you said? Is that what you understand? And if if that's the affirmative, say, well, and you said it was because of this, but that seems to me to be wrong. And here's why. 
and then they can come to their own understanding that their conclusion has been drawn in a false manner. And that way you're not insulting them, you're not attacking them. Going after somebody's ideas is a lot different than going after them. Ad hominem attacks, which is all Facebook is, (laughs) quickly degenerate into babble. It's also more difficult to go after someone's ideas because you have to listen to their idea, think about their idea, try to dissect why you think it's wrong or right. You know, there's thought and energy put into that. Well, sadly, too often you have to to formulate their argument for them. That's what I mean. Because all they've done is stated their conclusion. Okay. So sometimes you have to (laughs) deconstruct it and go back and, 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 you know, reverse engineer it for them because they just came to the conclusion for some emotive reason or it was the easiest knee-jerk response. So you have to dig in there to find out why they came to that conclusion. But here's what I'm questions. here's what I'm trying to set up. If here's a typical conversation, are you ready? I, I'm going to play both parts. Okay. You're an idiot. Screw you. Okay, that's a that's a typical uh, American conversation between two people. You're an idiot. Screw you. Now, what Lola is saying is, someone says you're an idiot, and then he says, "No, really, you think I'm an idiot? So what brought you to that conclusion?" You listen to someone call you an idiot, ask them some questions trying to figure out why they came to the conclusion in their opinion <laughs> that you are indeed an idiot. <laughs> like you're, and I probably agree with right. that. The, the, you know what? You're right about it. Sorry. You're engaged in the conversation. <laughs> right. You're not trying to win. You're not trying to – you. you know. Argument's about consensus. That's the problem. Argumentation is not about winning. It's about – a proper argument leads to consensus. Both parties coming to a conclusion that that is either they've come to a truth that they both hold or have decided that there is no common ground, that both have valid points, but but there's no way to, to mesh those points. So it should not be about winning. I don't know why the emphasis on winning in our wild. Why do you need that kind of ego gratification? I don't need to win an argument. Maybe, maybe you, our maybe. whole thing is set up that way to win. Well, Our yeah, whole in this system. society, we're set up. The winners are great, losers aren't. You well, know, is an evolution set up that way too? The winner, it's about winning. I, 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 I'm not too quick to extrapolate from evolution. Then you get into social evolution, and yeah, we know how badly that went in the early 1900s. But let me let's get back to Highlander. What Lowell is saying is like it's not about winning, right? It's about it. I would add this: a conversation, an argument, uh, it should also be about furthering your own thoughts. You know, even if you totally disagree with the moron that you're talking to, right? Then they should. You should listen to that moron's moronic opinion and moronic words, and it should harden your thoughts. You know what I'm saying? So it's. But do you need to listen again? Like, do you need to listen to another? Trump rally speech to be like, you know what? I don't believe this guy knows what he's talking about. I'm going to listen more to him. They're not making an argument. I have two answers. I have two answers to that. One of them is the answer that I would tell my son. And the other answer is the real reality. Okay. Uh, I would tell my son, you should always listen. Think about what other people are saying. Think about their words. Are they right? Are they wrong? How do you know they're right? How do you, because I want to instill in my son, to never stop listening to other people. 
Right. But I'm done with them. I'm not going to listen to tell, And I'm going to have to tell him that a thousand times. <laughs> the next time a Trump supporter makes an argument to me will be the first time. Because what I've gotten from them time and again is an emotive appeal telling me how he makes them feel. I don't care how you feel. I care what you can prove. Make an argument. Don't they and make arguments, though, about the economy being better and the stock market being and higher? I and I always the- show them the graph that shows that the economy was already on that trajectory when he came into office. So it's a failed argument. When they make that argument, it's like, well, are you taking this out of context of history? It was already on this trajectory. Yeah, but I dismissed that same argument, for you just, and you did too, probably, when it was – uh, you know, the economy's growing, and they're like, that's because of the guy before him. That's because of Bush, the, his economy that he set up with the tax relief. And the I don't bubble. think anybody You're, tried to make the argument that Bush, I, who cratered the economy, I, had, had set it up. to and The fact that he called Obama into his office days before he left office right. suggested the panic that, that was taking place in the economy at that time. I'm just being devil's advocate there. No, but I, I, just, but I well, feel like it, that I feel like that argument's been going on forever. Like the well, Clinton thing was caused because get, of the guy before him. And then the Democrats are like, no, 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 no. We created that economy. And they're always like, nope, that was from the guy before. That's how it worked. And then whoever, but it, it's just, you know, presidents are like quarterbacks on football teams. They get too much praise for the win and, and too much blame for the loss. However, in this instance, you have to put everything in a historical context. It's impossible not to notice that the gradient of the economy is exactly the same as it was when Obama left office. Nothing's changed. Yeah, I don't feel like it's drastically. This, what Tom and Lowell have just done for the last two minutes is, is what fascinates me about Miles Horton, that you get people in a room and you just let them start talking. And if and they listen and they go back and forth and eventually it's like wearing down to where you're going to come to a, a a meeting point. You might still disagree, right? That's perfectly valid. That's fine. Yeah, but you're still going to sit down and eat macaroni and cheese. If you put someone in a room, you take you take 200 people in a town that are all pretty much have the same gripes, the same issues. Put them in a room, then they actually have power. You you separate them, they don't have power. Right. You know. But don't you have a lot of people that you're like, no, we don't have a difference of opinion. You're wrong. The, we, we, you know what I mean? Like Jamie, for like the guy we were talking, like, right. like, like, you're just wrong. Well, that's because Jamie would never make an argument, ever. He would just constantly and repeatedly game say some statement. You're a libtard. You know, uh, yeah, but I think something along those lines. It was always some either ad hominem attack, or it was never an argument. And but what Lowell would do, like this, this one guy that they're talking about on Tom's Facebook is, this guy would make a, a comment like "You're just a libtard," and then Lowell would come back with a par- a beautifully written paragraph answer to his three word uh, idiocy. You know what I'm saying? And Lowell would point out where that is incorrect. That <laughs> you didn't actually make an argument. Here's what an argument is, and the definition of an act. You know what I mean? So yeah, and I, do I think that someone's going to turn him probably not is it possible yes and you know it is it's absolutely possible you're right i you're mean right. you've seen you're right when you're in the room with people it's different than when you're yeah i agree yeah, well he and i actually had a couple of conversations like on messenger that were civil right and there actually is some common ground he's just so emotionally involved in it that he can't divorce that from the rational side 
Yes, and he doesn't have the he doesn't have the the logic class stuff behind him to form it. One good book in logic. Can't we just give one, every kid one good one book? One good book yeah. in logic. In logic? Yeah. I love that there's this many people gathered together to 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 think about to work on thinking differently. Tom is is looking at the postcard right now with the communist training school at the top. Let's get into the civil rights portion of Highlander. This why uh, are we focused on high is he just the most interesting Miles Horton? I'd like he's a founder. Was but was was did Aubrey Williams was that another person like that labeled as a communist and Arthur Barry like we know all, Martin Luther all King of those Jr. People were not communists. This is propaganda. You know, they're labeling this was a billboard by the way. I found out. Okay. The so. postcard that I uh, described at the beginning that Tom is now holding was uh, they put up a billboard. They snuck someone in. They, it was a celebration. It was an anniversary celebration. Martin Luther King was there. Uh, a bunch of people were there. And um, they they gave speeches and talks and, and ate cake and had fried chicken and whatever, you know, and, and had a good time. And somebody came in, took a, a picture, and then put it up as a billboard calling it a communist training and with the words communist training school with a a, 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 sign, a thing that said Martin Luther King. So how did Martin pointing at it. Did, how did so how did Martin Luther King and and uh and Mile how did they address these situations? Did they just be like, well that's just lunacy? Or did they did they even bother to defend like I don't, to try I to I don't think they really did, did put up much of a defense, but other people did. The Tennessean, the newspaper, the local newspaper, I think it's out of Chattanooga, I think, uh, the Tennessean, which is near Mount Eagles near nearish Chattanooga, right? So they wrote like a five series thing on Highlander explaining why they're a communist school and why they should be shut down and all this. And Miles laughed at it. He thought it was hilarious. And anytime he was asked, he said, I've never been a member of the Communist Party. I, I've, I would not join the Communist Party. So who is this American Opinion Library? I don't I don't know. It's it's just some right wing kind of, you know, like Lowell said, a J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> right. I wonder, but know, I says, has it lived on to become like, you know, like a heritage changed, foundation? Yeah, something, it's you probably know? changed names and now it's you know steve bannon is ceo or something because like at least two of these people to me sound like heroes of humanity yet they're oh yeah i mean here's the people the people that were at highlander would blow your mind rosa parks was at highlander we, we teach rosa parks to kids like there's she's a little old sweet little woman who just didn't want to get up out of her seat no she put in the work and, no she was at highlander they taught her how do you fight mm -hmm. how do you stop how do you change the South? How do you change the country? Yeah, she went back with a purpose. She went back. She was at Highlander what, two months before she refused to get out of her seat. Right. You know, she knew what she was doing. Highlander knew what she was doing. The, this this was a, an intelligent woman with a purpose, you know. And, and she said later on in her life, she said, Highlander taught me how to act. She said that the first when she went to Highlander was the first time in her entire life where she actually believed that black and white people could live together in harmony. She had never seen that before. So so Highlander took off then, right? And it became a thing that like people I don't know if you say took off. I mean you know, Stokey Carmichael was there. Uh, you know, Julian Bond. Julian Bond was there. The civil rights leaders all knew about Highlander. 
Um, Congressman uh, John Lewis. Oh, yes, he was there. At That's what, when you started naming the names. I was expecting John Lewis to be one of them. I was. Yeah. I was. I was going to guess that actually. Yeah, he was. He was at Highlander. So they knew about Highlander. So but did he end up fighting for education a, like this for all, like when he was in office for so long? Did he, did he? John Lewis? Yeah. I'm not sure about that. I don't know. I, I got to get away from the idea of this as a, a, kind, a kind of utilitarian education that's applicable across the board. This is a specialized kind of education. Yeah, that... This is something different. This is for adults. It's for people whose marginal utility isn't being met. And teaching what does them, that mean? Their marginal utility is they can't feed themselves, clothe themselves, don't have have, have a roof over their heads. And, and there is a economic reason. Yeah, there's and a there's controller. A, they, they're being repressed. Yes, usually in the in the Appalachia, particularly by company towns or, or yeah. local oligarchs who who, who prevented them. Yeah. From, the from, mill owner is pay is yep. paying nothing and taking all the. Or the coal company owns every home, and you shop at the company store with company And this is what unions yeah. basically changed in the United States. Yes. They stopped that from being an yes. everyday thing. And people and then, make an argument against unions now, but unions changed this country. Uh, it, like Lowell said, there would be a mill, a, a cotton mill, you know, something like that, and you would be you wouldn't be paid in money. You'd be paying tokens that were only spendable at the company store. Really? Yeah. Like a batting cage token? Yeah. <laughs> Similar. The only place they were accepted, these tokens, were at the company store. Right. And they don't take them back for money. No, no. you can't. You have no. So you're an cash. indentured servant at that point. You are an indentured service. And the company store sold eggs and flour and milk at three times the price that the grocery store sold it at. But you can't buy anything at the grocery store because you have no money because they're paying you in these tokens. And everybody in the town is literally eating flour and water to try to survive. And that was going on all through the United States? Especially in the South. But it was in Pennsylvania, the coal mines. Any place where the coal mines, that was really all all Appalachia, yeah. Um, So now at least we've moved that stuff to China and Indonesia. You know what I'm saying? Like It's not really happening here anymore. That's a horrible joke and so accurate. I hate that that's accurate. I do too. Like when yeah. you're describing it, I'm like, yeah, so yeah. basically our, the, uh, it's a microcosm of our, our entire system, basically. So, yeah, I mean, and unions came in and, and taught these, the workers how do you, you know, come together and walk off the job and demand the, the owner is either going to have to lose production because you're not going to, you know, you're not going to be on the job. Uh, or he's going to have to give you a higher wage, change the safety laws, fewer hours, 40-hour work week came out of unions, you know, all this stuff. And they, and in my opinion, they won. They, they changed the culture of, the, you know, there were no more company stores paying in tokens. Company and hospitals, company housing. There's oh. a reason you go through some of these Appalachian towns and all the houses are identical. Yeah. The company built the houses. I lived, I lived in a coal house section. There you go. Yeah. All identical, all in a row. They're all identical. You live there, but if you cross the owner, you no longer had a home. <laughs> you yeah. no longer had a job. Yeah, and that's the way they would keep you down is if you said anything, if you were a troublemaker, if you were trying to form a union, you lost your house, you lost your job, you, you know, all the they could take everything from you. So then imagine having to go into a small town and convince these people, come on, let's stand up to this guy. Let's stand up to the to the mill owner. You know, that's what that's what Miles and the Highlander School, they didn't teach those people. They taught the people that they already knew how to do it. You just need to do it. So who's the modern day let's stand up to the mill owner? 
Well, it's you know, it's who is that? It's changed now, of course. Has uh, it? Yeah, has living it? in an I mean, oligarchy, I think so. A little. When you have local oligarchs, it's one thing. When you extrapolate it out to where you have now, Koch brothers and, and the Walton family, that's a different dynamic altogether to try to fight that. Especially since they they wow. Jerry Jerry rigged the system so that they essentially own the outcomes from the government. I mean, they can purchase outcomes that they want from the yeah, government. The Walton family. So yeah. at this point, you they wonder, couldn't do that before. They had even more. Power no, they before. they 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 did it before. I this mean, they owned the police. Problem. Yeah, mill owners. You know, we're talking but back in the thirties and forties. So it was a local, local police action. force. Local action isn't going to stop what we got going on. But now. I would I would also throw in that those really big steel mills, Rockefeller, uh, uh, they they owned the militia. So you know, Rockefeller could literally. Uh, Good put point. in a call to the White House and have two thousand troops. Henry Ford could have two thousand troops mm. sent, armed troops. So, but is it the same playbook Pullman. that that you know that uh, that, the American, Wal- the that American Opinions Library is putting out? Is it this? Is it the, is it the same playbook to label all those people that all that wanted to help people? They're communists. Is it the same? Like I feel this sort of I mean, socialist. They're socialists. That's the word. They're now. socialists. It's no longer communist. Now they're labeling it socialist. So American Opinions Library yeah. became Fox News. Basically. basically, it's the same. It's. I mean, I. I I'm. Is it, you know, that's what I mean. It's the same playbook. It's right the now. same playbook. Unions are bad. People. It's harder to research and learn when I accuse someone of being a communist, and you go, "Wait a minute, I'm I'm going to learn for myself if they're a communist." Most people don't do that. They just go, "Yeah, the communists." You know, fear is a big driving force. So you want to you want to shut down a school in the middle of Tennessee, label it a communist. And they did shut it down. The state Who shut of, it down? The state of Tennessee uh, padlocked Highlander. They they came and they confiscated all the property and they yeah, they closed Highlander. And Miles, his quote in the paper is brilliant. It's beautiful. He laughed when they were padlocking his school. They and they they arrested three teachers, I think, um, and they confiscated everything he owned, including his house, right? And he laughed the entire time that they were doing it. And a newspaper man came over and said, why are you laughing? They're taking everything you own. And he said, they're, they're padlocking the school. That's so – you can't padlock an idea. Right. I mean – Fantastic. Fantastic. That was a beautiful quote, wasn't it? You can take everything I have. You can't take the ideas. You can't take them. That's Shakespeare. <laughs> I have more to talk about, but wouldn't it be great to end it right there? Maybe we should do an edit job. Put that at the end. Uh-huh. That's good. Um, During so, the civil rights. Uh, so, like, all right, so they shut it down. Was he right? I mean, tell me. I mean, I. I feel like I know the ending because I didn't know who the hell he was in the first place. But, like, right. so now he's super... He's like, all right, whatever. They're shutting it down. We can't stop this. So I'll just go to someplace else that, that wants this idea. And I've already taught 40 people or 140 people, and they're going to go teach it, and the idea is going to grow. I would, uh, Yes, I would argue that that's exactly what happened. And I would argue uh, that Miles Horton and Highlander is a major factor in the civil rights movement mm-hmm. in the in this still exists today they reopened they reopened what do you mean they reopened the highlander school new, reopened it's yeah, still, it's still, it's still open it's outside of knoxville now they moved it they changed the name of it and it's a little bit different and that but they're fighting they're still fighting similar thing and they're not fighting unions and all that stuff but they're fighting the environment uh the environmental catastrophes that are going on they're fighting that it's still going on 
it's still open. You can visit it. It's, they, have their own, they have a Facebook group. You got a <laughs> gift shop. I'm surprised you haven't been invited. Uh, uh, we need to mention because. Wait, uh, now, is, is it an accredited like school or is it just like a, a place? I don't think it was ever. It's not a degree granting or an accredited school. That's not, yeah. not its purpose. That's not its purpose. And, you you know, people would come, adults only, no kids. And so people, even back when it started, people would come for a few classes, three classes, and then go home. Some people would come, like people were, people came from South Carolina to Tennessee in the 40s and 50s to learn, you know. South Carolina, like a lot of southern states, were had all these laws that they had written in to basically keep black people from voting. You know, once they once black people got the right to vote, then all of a sudden they came up with all these. Yeah, laws. what are you talking about? They they can't, like they're still doing it. Oh, there's, exactly, yeah. they're still doing it today. Yeah, when the court allowed them to yeah. start doing it, yeah, it hasn't changed. They're still uh, finding ways to stop mm-hmm. black people from voting. The South Carolina, one of the ways was in order to vote, in order to register to vote in the state of South Carolina, you had to be able to read the Constitution. Okay, so that eliminates all illiterate people. Right, and then you start reading the Constitution, and you're like, oh, women can't vote, and people that don't own land can't vote, and you know what? (laughs) Fuck this thing. Yeah, I don't need to vote. vote this piece of paper out? It says I'm three-fifths of a person. They're taking their word for it on guns. I fuck these. (laughs) Well, this school didn't arise in isolation either. It did not, yeah. There's the new school in New York. There's the Hall House in Chicago. This was a movement. This was a worldwide movement. Yeah, and the Danish folk schools is where kind of the idea popped up. And and there were several other similar schools. Wouldn't you allow children? That doesn't make sense. Like you'd want, wouldn't you want the young minds to sort of start to? That's a good question. Still in them that like that. I don't think they had those kind of resources. And you're right, Tom. That's where you'd want to start in in an ideal situation. But again, these are people who are trying to eat. Yeah, I think so. First, you have to provide for their utility that they have the things that they need in order to survive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, now then you can start like the Knoxville. Want. Like they, they've had I don't know 40 years now to 50 years to 100 years almost to build this yeah. thing. They and might now. I'm not sure. They know. they might now have kids, you know, classes for I don't know. They need a football team. They impression. need something to draw attention to the, who, what, they're, what they're doing. I think of it more as an adult learning center. It's an, It especially was an adult learning center. How how do you, you know, let's talk about the nonviolence thing because that – it's fascinating to me, and I want to know what what Tom. This is a com, this is a topic Tom and I talk a lot about nonviolence. You know, here's Miles' stance on it. Okay, uh, with like, uh, I've been questioning my stance on what? that. By the way, huh? I've been questioning my stance on nonviolence. Well, this will help. Um, <laughs> Miles's point of view is this: on not, he actually says in this wonderful interview. I, again, I recommend it to people. Bill Moyers and. Uh, Miles Horton sit and talk on a porch in Tennessee in 1982. Um, he says that's where Bill Moyers brings up nonviolence, right, Lowell? Yes, sir. Brings it up. And Miles says, well, now that's where Martin Luther King and I diverge. That's where Martin Luther King loved everybody. I don't. He goes, I think a man and a woman can judge their lives not only by how many people love you, but by how many people hate you. (laughs) He said, I relish my enemies, you know, and here's his point. And this is fascinating, Tom. I had never thought about this before. He says that saying you need to be nonviolent 
is a ridiculous statement in and of itself because violence already exists. Okay. If you're black in 1962 and you're trying to eat at a, at a lunch counter and you get beaten over the head by a cop with a billy club and you just lay there and take it, you were not nonviolent. Violence was done upon you and you did nothing. You know what I'm saying? So if there was not violence in the situation at all, okay, and then you introduced violence, then you are violent, right? But there's already violence in this situation. It's part of their day-to-day lives, you know? Right. It's, but I th- wouldn't Martin Luther King sort of – I don't know what he, he would, would argue. disagree with that. I don't know if he would disagree, but wouldn't he argue uh, – or I would maybe just make the argument of re- from whatever that it's like the – be like water where you, you don't contribute. Like it's, om- like it's almost like – the argument is all violence contributes to more violence. So in order to get to no violence, you have to start contributing to no violence. Yeah. And then – grab get more and more people to to be that and although you look around like again with evolution and all and every species and if we're a part of it it's it's a pretty violent well not, it's a I pretty violent my, li- world and life and in, in, in general sorry, so it, he's right i'd say miles is right it is a part it's already here it's part of of their of, of the fabric of reality it's specifically know? African Americans in the fifties and sixties that are it's violence is part of their day to day existence. When this he is, had a broad definition of violence, yes. he saw starvation as violence. Yes, economic deprivation violence. as violence. Yes. These are violent acts against these people. So, so his broad definition of violence, and I think if he were being more exact with his language, he would be talking about confrontation. But he used yeah, nonviolence in your way just a minute ago where he was like, they can't take the idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's right. going right. over there like, no, well, don't. He wasn't. Okay, now now let me add this because you're absolutely right, Tom. That's absolutely right. It, it, Miles would say, and I, I I feel a little bit like an idiot saying Miles would say. From what I've My read. buddy Miles. Me no, and I don't, watching, from I what him. I've read about Miles, <laughs> this is what I understand him to mean, okay, is he's not going to teach people to be violent. Highlander never taught anybody to go shoot somebody or go beat someone up. But if violence is part of the situation, then it's part of the situation and we will deal with it as it comes, you know? Uh, But he always approached things in a nonviolent way, you know, like the gun story before he didn't start shooting. He didn't start shooting the people from the second floor of that. He talked them out of shooting him. Right. You know, but, as some people would point out, Miles had a gun. That's right. You know, he had a gun. He he said it was given to him by some preacher who was worried about his thing. Whatever. He had a gun. You know what I mean? Franklin Graham. I got I get the guns. feeling <laughs> I get the feeling from reading Miles that um he w- would not consider himself a nonviolent teacher. He he he's not I teaching agree. people nonviolence. He's teaching people to fix their situation, to better their immediate situation. And if if there's a picket and a protest to to eat at a lunch counter or something and and the, uh, violence erupts, then violence erupts. That's what happened. It's civil disobedience, you know, sometimes involves violence. Yeah, but if but you he's in not that situation with that card. Well, and he went out of his way to avoid it. I oh. love the one story about they, they had a, a, a picket line at a mill. 
It's about 45 minutes away from the town. So he had somebody stationed in town who would oh, call them great whenever the sheriffs would spill into their cars and head for the picket line. The thousand picketers would disappear and they would replace them with guitars and a bunch of pretty girls. So when the sheriff would show up, all they would find is pretty girls, you know, and the pretty girls talk to them and say, well, hey, what are you doing here? Uh-huh. And they'd be playing folk songs, and the sheriffs would like, well, nothing's going on here. They'd leave and go back. A thousand picketers were back before they could even get back to, to the town they came this from. That's great. Oh, that is great. Which brings up music. We, we can't, we can't, oh, it's vital, we can't do it? a podcast episode about Highlander without talking about music. He made it. He made it clear how vital music was as part of the the yes, movement, which is something that a lot of uh, people that are, intellectuals, whatever you want to say, would. I don't think that they would have thought of how important that is. You know what I mean? I think that's an interesting thing about Miles. Is Miles started out with this idea when he was a young man of. How do you educate? How do you do? How do you help all the people? And I think as he went, he learned so much that his ideas completely changed. You know, to where you don't need to teach anybody. You need, you know, anyway. You need to listen. You need to listen. You need to listen to their problems. That's what I mean. Did he? Then he should teach listening. Because <laughs> that's a, that's it's not an easy thing to do. Miles. Um, Miles realized, and and he learned this from pe- from other people. But music, when you're picketing, when you're when you when you have, are, are part of a big movement that has just left your job and your family and, and your entire livelihood is on the line. If you lose this, you're done. You know this is ner- This is scary as hell. And cops are coming by, beating the crap out of you. You know that one union leader was, was shot right in front of everybody. They just shot him. The sheriff just shot him in the face. Right. And Miles said, when the sheriff pulled up and shot the union leader uh, in front of all the picketers, Miles said, "If I wasn't a radical before, I was a radical when that happened. When a government official can pull his car up and shoot a, a union leader in the face in front of everybody, and nothing happens to them." If you're not a radical after you see that, then you've got no soul, you know. Anyway, he realized and learned, him and his wife especially was a wonderful musician, that when people sing together, it it distracts them, it calms them. It, there's some kind of uniformity coming together and singing makes you forget about the fear of what's going to happen, makes you feel joy, you know, and there's a happiness when everybody starts singing together. There's a unity. There's a unity, you know? Yeah. Well put, Lowell. So you, he, they taught singing. They taught, and We Shall Overcome, you know the song, We Shall Overcome. Right. We Shall Overcome was brought to Highlander as a, without that title, it was another title. It was just a folk song that someone from, I believe, South Carolina, Gola people, I think. Anyway, they brought it to Highlander. Gola people? Gola, G-U-L-L-A-H. Do you know about Gola people? No, that sounds oh. like something from Lord of the Rings. Uh, <laughs> there's an island couple, I think, actually, off South Carolina, Gola. That's the name. They were slaves brought over, Gola slaves, right? And and they lived on these islands. And because they were separated, they spoke their own language. And well into this century, you know, they were still living in this extremely fascinating primitive kind of making their own baskets and all, all this stuff. Their, their baskets are 
intricate in south carolina in south carolina yeah so there's still i'm I'm talking in the 50s and 60s there were people on on those islands that still spoke gola which what islands off south carolina i don't know i don't know the name i don't know you want okay. me to look it up? They're probably developed. No, now. I mean you already know them way more than than that's necessary. I didn't, oh, I don't I know, know, I don't know, I don't who, know who the Gola people are, and I'm like, what's their address? <laughs> no, I'm over interested. <laughs> well, that was another thing. We're going to come back to the music, but wow. that another thing was like on those islands, people could they could they couldn't read uh, English. They spoke Gola, you know, and they they they, you know, so they couldn't vote. So there was a, a movement. Where a few people on that island that spoke some English, a, a, a bus driver that drove white people back and forth from the island and stuff like that, he thought, I want to teach everybody how to read this part of the Constitution so then they can go vote, right? So he went to Highlander to learn how, how, do, you, how do you help people? How do you teach? How do you, how do you get people together? And then, so Highlander sent some people to South Carolina to help him and another woman, I don't remember her name, uh, they set up a, a in the back of a store. They set up a, an easel and some chairs and taught people how not how to read "See Dick Run," right? But how to read two sections of the Constitution, so then they could go register to vote. So then the black vote shot up, and they they elected people that would help their lives. You know, they were part of the voting process you know okay so instead of sort of fighting through the courts to be like we shouldn't have to learn this you they said all right fuck it well we get all right we'll learn it we're gonna vote yes and then we're gonna vote that stupid law out yeah you put in a dumb law trying to prevent and they knew that you know you're trying to prevent me from voting by by just saying that i you have to be able to read two sections you know i could give up and call you an idiot you know or i could you know but that's the way they approached it okay you you did this stupid thing. Well, we'll, yeah, we'll do it. We'll learn how to read it. You don't think I can learn to read? I can learn to read. You know, so much weird, fascinating stuff that I just that I've never heard anything about before. Well, I didn't know it's anything about this me. until I walked in this junk shop and saw Martin Luther King sitting on that postcard. I just and then you became interested in the other guy, which is Miles very, Horton. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. I let's talk about this music first. Um, okay, I think it's very fascinating. He this some guy brought. A song, I I will overcome. Boy, I hope I got that right. I think that's the title of the original. I will overcome. I think that was the original is. song that this guy brought to Highlander. He just you know they would sit around and sing songs at, at Highlander, and this was a, a a guy from that was visiting and and sitting through in some classes, and he brought a song. He said, "Hey, I've got one," and sang a song called "I Will Overcome." And Miles's wife, who was a wonderful piano player, and she was really interested in music, she thought that's a great song. It's not perfect for a picket line. It's got a good or, hook, though. Or a march. That's exactly what she thought. It's got something to it. So her and I believe Pete Seeger, mm-hmm. they they rewrote it a little bit and changed it from "I will overcome" to "We shall overcome." It's got a. It's now. It's no longer I. Now it's we. Right. That's bigger. That's. You know, it's like "Don't tread on me" should be changed to "Don't tread on us" or "We." Don't tread you know? on me. Like yeah. that, and they changed and made it a more emotional song, and then it took off. But that happened. "We Shall Overcome" started at Highlander, you know, huh. and now everybody knows that song. I mean, picketers in other countries uh-huh. sing that damn song. 
one who talked about the the story when we they had yet song. another raid from the local constabulary and they were watching a movie and it was a bunch of, of younger student teenagers in a dark room and the sheriff comes in and insists that they turn on the lights and they refuse to turn on the lights and they start singing we shall not be afraid so they added another stanza to the song yeah i can i've never been in a situation like that but i can understand how if you're doing something that that the powers that be think is wrong or illegal right and you're scared to death but you think you you know what I'm trying to say, Tom. You you know what I mean. That's, just, that's a scary. And then here they come to get you. I, I've never been in a situation like that where right. you know I'm marching with Gandhi, and then here comes the you know the English with their mm. billy clubs right. to beat the crap out of you. Closest I can come is like the police bust in the high school party, and you're like, I shouldn't and be that's here. Scary. I don't <laughs> and that's scary. Nobody's enough. singing. We're all getting quiet and ducking behind things. Right. That's what I'm saying. When someone comes to get you, it's scary feeling. I can imagine how somebody you're scared to death, you know, and then someone starts singing a song that you know, and then you start singing it too, and then everybody starts singing it, right? And then you feel like we can win. Yeah. I can totally imagine how that would, how that could take place, you know. Now this is the only other thing I've ever been able to find of Highlander. I've found the postcard. It's hard to find. I mean, nobody knows about this school. No, I've never heard of it at all. Like, I never, you said there's a modern day school. Are there are there any modern day like people that we know that are in, that have like come from Highlander like in a more recent era that are I don't know that I are would, like th- I'm out here and I'm making a difference and you're like wonder where this person and but they and but they came from there like the modern day Rosa Parks did Colin Kaepernick go to the Highlander school you know what I mean <laughs> I, like uh, I would be fascinated that's a really interesting yes I have no idea the answer to that question and I would be fascinated to know that I would wouldn't it be awesome if if we could contact Colin Kaepernick and say have you heard of Highlander just yeah. to know does he know about Highlander you know the people that are doing these similar type of things uh, you know my preacher friend in Indianapolis, yes. Mike Mather. It, he he's a fan. He knows about Highlander and he, uh, Diamon is Mike's Mike's good friend Diamon, whose uh, job I don't know if I've ever told you about this, Lowell. Uh, Diamon's his title. He actually has business cards is roving listener. <laughs> he gets paid a salary. Did I tell you about this? Tom? No. My friend Mike Mather, who's a, a Methodist preacher in Indianapolis, right? He's some very Miles Horton kind of guy, okay? Okay. He's, he was arrested with Berrigan, Daniel Berrigan. Uh, anyway, I'm getting off track. Uh, Mike Mather is an amazing human being. And anytime I ever hear anybody say, all religion is crap, all people that believe it is crap, all the pre, I always think, eh, not all of them. Diamond went to Highlander to visit Highlander and learn and study. Um Mike wanted to hire Diamond, you know, for his church. So he he offered him a job as his position was roving listener. And he gets paid a salary, a yearly salary to be a roving listener. And what he does, what Diamond's job is, he walks around the neighborhood and he listens to people. If they're sitting some people are sitting on a porch, he'll go up, "Susan, how have you been?" I, you know, not good, not good. I lost my job. The, you know, the Dollar General's not paying anymore, and they they're cutting down, and I got axed, and you know, the it's just not as busy as. Oh, I'm sorry, Susan. That's horrible. How, yeah, how you been getting by? Oh, all right. Well, hey, if you need anything, call me. Three days later, he's in another part of town, 
Roger, how you doing, Roger? I am swamped. I'm swamped. I got too much work down at the shop. I need to hire somebody. Oh, you need... Eh, Susan needs a job. Okay. He connects people. He connects them. Did you, know? you just improv those two little stories? I did. Pretty, um, pretty, pretty nice. So he's a roving listener. He walks around and listens to people, and he knows exactly what's going on in the community. He knows who needs what, who's doing what, what's going on, and he connects people. You know, that's that's, and then he gets paid to do that. Mike Mather, the amazing Methodist preacher in Indianapolis, is at the uh, on Broad, Broadway Methodist Church. Yeah, Mike is paying him a an annual salary to walk around and listen to people and it is helping that's pretty cool that's real church outreach are you that's I, a real church outreach program. i'm just when i talk about mike and you know that whole thing it's it's like it's like highlander mike is very he was influenced by miles horton uh, mike mather was he learned you know so do you are you do you meet more and more people like this as you as you travel around and sort of open up your own sort of heart and mind to those people have you started to meet more and more people like that or do you find yourself getting more and more frustrated with the people around you that you deal oh, with lately them? lately i've been really struggling with people but i have a tendency to meet uh these people i don't know why like lowell Who's interested in this type of thing? This type, whatever you call this idea, changing the world through thoughts, changing the world through actions. You know, it's a fascinating thing to me. You know, Mike Mather is is in the process of doing it. He's taking action to change the world around him. You know what I mean? I always admire that. Now, where do you get the the thought of how you're going to change? Because I would like to make a change. I I can't find an idea. I can't find a toehold. It's so I I listen to and these guys are amazing because they always seem to yeah, find and Mike, they just do it. It's here's a story. Here's a Mike Mather story. Okay, they have a program. A lot of churches do. Uh, when Mike took out, when Mike was given the job at this church, right? They had a program where if you were struggling financially, okay, and you needed some help with your bills, uh, then you could come in and they would pay your heating bill. You know. Or whatever. It's December's heating bill is enormous. I need a little bit of help. And you'd come in and they'd pay it. Well, Mike realized it's the same people that come in every month. It, they've been coming in for years. We're not helping them pay their heating bill. We are paying their heating yeah, bill. Yeah, right. They're not even trying. So he said, screw that. So then a woman came in who Mike knows, right? And she comes in every single month and just puts her heating bill on the desk and the church writes a check and pays it. Mike goes, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. She goes, what? What are you talking about? He goes, we just, I'm not going to pay your heating bill. What are you, you kidding? You come in here every month. He says, this not, is great. Yeah. And, and she's freaking out. How am I going to pay my, I don't have any money. And he goes, calm down, calm down. What are you doing? You don't need to scream and yell, you know, let's talk. Let's talk. What do you like to do? That's what he said to her. What do you like to do? And she's like, what do you mean? What do I like to do? I like to be in a warm house. Right. That's what I like to do. <laughs> I like to sit in a house that has heat and you come in here and I come in here and you're not paying my bill. Stop yelling at me. Stop yelling at me. What? Just let's sit here and talk for a minute. What is it? What's your favorite thing in the world? He finally calms this woman down. She's not yelling anymore. And she says, well, I, I like to bake. I like putting things in the oven, and it makes the whole house smell good. It makes me feel good. And it warms the house. It warms the house. <laughs> yeah. 
So Mike is like, that's great. I love, you know, what's your favorite thing to bake? What do you like? What's your absolute favorite? And she said, well, chocolate chip cookies. Makes the house smell great. I love chocolate chip cookies. That's when I'm depressed. I make chocolate chip cookies. I put them in the oven and it makes me feel better. That's great because I'm not paying your bill. Maybe you could pop out a couple dozen. There you go. Bring them That's what Tom just said as a joke is exactly where Mike went. Really? Mike said, that is amazing that you like to bake chocolate chip cookies because I just happen to know a couple of people who like to eat chocolate chip cookies. (laughs) Perhaps if you bake a few dozen and bring them in on Sunday, you know. So then the first couple of weeks, Mike bought all the cookies, okay? So now he's giving her the money to pay her heating bill, but she's having to do something, right? And then eventually he would give away these cookies and they're really damn good. And now she brings in dozens and dozens every and people buy her cookies in mass because they're good cookies and now she's paying her heating bill you know herself that's nice that's that's cool how do you until the fd until the the health department comes in is like you can't just be selling cookies that you're making out of your house we heard that we heard on this podcast you owe this much of a fine and uh, uh, so it seems to me that you know again we're going back to listening we're going back to listening you, you know, what is he asking questions? He's not telling her what to do. He's asking her a question and then connecting things and making, you know, am I right? Did he wrong? do that? Did he sort of right. do that for, obviously he was paying more than just this lady's bill. So he sort of had to, I don't know. I just, he told me, or he didn't tell me that story. Uh, an assistant of his told me that story that likes to, Mike is a very, you know, he's one of those guys that, I'll, I'll say to him, like, uh, hey, tell me something really cool that you did. I don't do anything cool. You know, <laughs> tell me about the road, Stuart. He doesn't want to talk about himself, you know. I, is this so, the church you just did the show, the comedy show for? I, just, I did a show on did, Sunday morning. Nice. Yeah, he invited me to come to his, his church and, do, quote, unquote, do my show That's during. crazy. <laughs> I was so scared. I, oh. uh, I'm not scared of, of you know of really going up on stage now doesn't scare me at all no matter where i'm at but i was so nervous that i would let him down he's one of my heroes you know yeah but you're not you're like that you say you're not scared but you're in there are situations like that for instance where you are stripped of you're stripped of sort of your comedic skills that you've developed you're in you're you can't use there's some topics you obviously can't use. You have to, Mike. You know, I said to yeah, Mike. Yeah, but you know, you can. I know he, that. Yeah. Yes. You, I'm, I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna be able to cuss. I'm not gonna be able to use language. But Mike didn't tell me not to. I really, honestly, feel like you know. I mean, well, first of all, Mike just trusted me to do whatever I thought was right. Right. You know what I'm saying? But um, Mike loves. I don't know. He he loves my comedy, which uh, you know. Uh, you guys know me a lot. Some of it is is poking fun at religion, and he he thinks it's hilarious, and you know he thinks it's really really funny. It's know? really fun. It's really fun on the roads when you're talking about religion, and somebody that's in religion mm-hmm. comes up and appreciates what you're doing, like as opposed it's, to people that aren't really in religion that get offended at it, and then there, there somebody who's right. like that's their thing is is their spirituality and their and that and their search and their they appreciate what you said you know i've talked to mike about that you're right tom i've talked to it's weird how there's three or four preachers that have come up to me after my show and introduced themselves to me and i've gone to their church and we have great conversations in other words they weren't offended 
You know, they might not have agreed with every single thing I said, but they weren't offended. I've the people that get things. offended are the people that go to church on Easter and Christmas. That's so true. You know, so they get so and they've never read the Bible. Yeah. You know, and they have a bumper sticker and a, and a you know, and a cross on a chain. Yeah. They know nothing about religion at all. <laughs> right. And they're majorly pissed. Those well, are the people if, that if get these it. fellows have come to this conclusion about their religious belief. Hopefully, they've been through the whole process of asking all the questions you've asked. You would hope they so. just come to a different conclusion. That's all. And that, that's perfectly fine. You should, if you're going to do that for a living, be asking all these relevant questions. Yeah. Now, that is a difference between perhaps a Methodist or, or one of the churches that doesn't require that you go to seminary or have any formal education, mm-hmm. that you're just called to preach. <laughs> Okay. That's a different thing altogether, which is it's always funny phrasing to me. Is it not? I mean, that's a good point, Lowell, but I was called to preach. It's always, I don't know, I guess because I've never been called to do anything. <laughs> right. I don't want to, I'm not really mocking it, but because if I would look, I'll say this. Okay. If the sky split, you know what I mean? And a big gray haired bearded man stuck his head down from the clouds and looked right at me and pointed at me and he goes go preach then i would say yes sir yeah. you know i would do it but that's not that gonna happen tend to be the circumstances that you when you dig into these circumstances of how these fellows took these churches it usually was an economic opportunity right in those situations yeah we're talking, I was called to preach. Yeah, that means I, you know, I wanted to. I got to take a my plane. shoes off in the presence of the Lord, and I'm just going to talk in tongues. And yes, all right, let's uh, let's get to this. Is the only other yes, uh, thing uh, piece of junk on Highlander I've been able to find in 20 years. Uh, this is uh, it's a press photo, is what it is. This I dig through these things all the time. Newspapers back in the day, right? Would the photography would be sent out, and they would take a photograph of something. You know, whatever the story was about, right? Right. And then, uh, so they have, you know, like files a- and files and files and files and files of photographs all through the years. And then sometimes they turn up in junk shops. And when they do, there's usually an enormous stack of interesting photos. All the pictures that have been in the newspaper for the last 30 years or something. And they have information on the back, usually, to tell people what it was. So I found this one in a stack um this is a picture on the front. It's it's Miles Horton is what it is. I didn't know it by looking at him. That's I, what I mean. What drew, you're you're just going through looking, and you're yeah, like, okay, this I'm one. I'm going looks through in- looking. Here's what I'm doing. That's a good question, Tom. So I, there's a big stack of photographs, right? And these are eight by ten. And I'm just you know, there's a, a a girl holding a doll with a Christmas thing on. This is obviously a Christmas one, you know. And then there's a a picture of a deer, or whatever it is. And then I came to this one, and what I saw is. There are three men, all of them, all of them in suits. The man in the middle is being restrained. Um, the, the man on the right and the left of him are like locking his arms and kind of they're arresting him is what it looks like, you know. And I thought, what is this? What's going on here? You know, so I turn it over and uh, it says Miles Horton uh, in center is so he's in the middle. Miles Horton, who identified himself as the founder of the Highlander Folk School, Mount Eagle, Tennessee, is ejected from the red hunting hearing in the federal building Saturday. He was jerked from his seat by deputy marshals when he refused to keep silent after declining to answer a question. <laughs> yeah. So they're basically, this is McCarthy crap, you know. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're trying to get him to rat 
is what happened. I read about it. I researched it and read about it. They're trying to get him to, A, admit he's a communist, admit that he has been training communists, and also tell them who else is a communist. Okay? He says, I'm not a communist. I have never been a member of the Communist Party, and my records uh, are free to, to look through. And they say, well, who else? Who, who has been at your school that is a member of the Communist Party? And there had been some members of the Communist Party that came to his school. He's not going to, you know, stop them from coming. So, and he says, I only speak for myself. I'm not going to sit here and, and talk for anybody else. And then they want to know if his wife is a member of the Communist Party. And he said, again, I am not speaking for her. If you want to talk to her, ask her the questions. You know, why are you asking me if Pete Seeger is a member of the Communist Party? Go ask Pete Seeger, you know. So then they yanked him out of his chair and arrested him, put him in prison. Wow. Yeah. So what ended up happening to this guy? Like, where? how did he die? Where did he? I think he he died. He was, well, he was an old man. He's he 88. was an old man. He made it. He wasn't killed. You know, I mean, he five or six stories about him is, you know, involve guns and someone come to kill him. And he he has narrowly escaped several attempts, <laughs> you know. Yeah. They shut his school down. They moved it to another place, you know. So this doesn't have like a hero's ending story. It's Not like really. it's kind of sad. Like it just sort of well, the, the, it just sort of fades school, off into you know the school is still is still open. It's like you know Berrigan that Daniel Berrigan who I brought up once. He, Daniel Berrigan, one of my favorite quotes ever. He said, uh, "We did not succeed, and we have not given up." It's a nice. great quote. That is the Can Highlander you... Folk School is still operating. Still teaching people how do you, how do you fight? How do you live in a small town where Walmart is sucking up all the money? You know how do you, how do you live in a how do you live in a world where our behavior is killing our environment? You know how do you fight these things? You know did he write? Did he publish? Did he do like? Are there? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't get that impression when you I go on their, their website. There, there's books listed, but I don't think there. He didn't write any like like. It would be, sort of go against his philosophy. You know, he, he's right. not there to tell you anything. Yeah. He's there to facilitate you learning about what you already know. It just seems like there should be more on a guy like this than these two. There, there are, pictures. I mean, there I mean, I'm are, sure there's more, there, but. there are two or three, four books written about him. And even there, I got to say, they're not, it's strange to me. To, I know what you're saying, Tom. It's strange to me too that when you when you study civil rights, I mean, like like Lowell said at the beginning, he was reading a book about you know Martin Luther King Jr.'s life, and Highlander is mentioned several times, but even it wasn't emphasized so much that Lowell yeah. then said, "Well, I need to learn about Highlander." It was just you know he was here. Rosa Parks was at Highlander, and then let's move on and talk about her life. You know, it's weird that they don't. This seems to be a pivotal. You know, I mean, there there are literally hundreds of thousands of of, of people that uh, fought for the you know civil during the civil rights movement. People uh, that will never know their all their names, but Highlander and Miles are not way down the list. They're near the top. Okay, of, it was the breeding ground. Yeah, but that's what I mean. The like list of names of the folks that went through there. You look at the list. You're looking at a, a, a you know a, Andrew Young. Yes, but you, if this was a—that's what I mean. But if this was like a—if this was like a, a 
the University of Kentucky and putting out basketball players, like as opposed to you know what I'm saying, right. like exactly, you, exactly. But I mean, it, but this is that of civil rights leaders. Yeah, this is. Y- yes. You'd think that people would be like, or and I would have come across the Highlander School enough times that it's like, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa I need to get to this. Like, for instance, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, they both mentioned Tolstoy's, um, you know, how to know God as part of where they learned about. Mm-hmm. Nonviolence, blah blah blah. So it's like I. And then you went and read I've, that. Then so yeah, so you kind of. But this I never have somewhere right. sort of jumped out at me. Like I don't know why well, I, I didn't. I, I do think in part it's because we don't teach history in our schools. We teach a, a national mythology. It's an agreed upon mythology that's not offensive to yeah. any extreme. It was very offensive to me. Well, I find it horribly <laughs> offensive because it is very true. Yes. it's a national <laughs> myth. Yeah. That, what, we, like we what? Like what's generation. a national? Like give me a give me the manifest de- destiny is a myth. Right. God did not ordain that we should have this country from sea to shining sea. Yeah, and we've used Ugh. that as an excuse to eradicate entire nations. And when we were done doing that on our own continent, because capitalism requires constant expansion, we've taken it overseas. We took a show on the road. We took a show on the road, baby. <laughs> Touring. <laughs> I don't know why all the answers. Uh, why is why is Highlander not uh, more well known? I, it's a very good question, and I, I suspect that there's not one answer. There's probably three or four. Um, we don't teach history, and in my opinion, it, it, there's varying opinions, of course. But in my opinion, they don't want to teach about Highlander. If but you, you don't have if things have impact. You almost don't have to teach about them. They sort of become known. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't know why that didn't happen. I mean, you, you know, you like Lowell said about the mythology of our, our history that we teach in this country. Yes, but there are other people like Tom Simmons, for instance, who are going beyond what is the history that's taught in school. He's reading. He's interested in Gandhi. He's interested in Martin Luther King. He's he's interested in these people. So he's read, you know, Martin Luther King's letters from prison. He's read these books. He should have learned about Highlander through that radical reading that he's doing, that high school history. But he's, but I, I shouldn't be learning about the Highlander school from Stuart Huff. No offense. No, but you hey, know what I mean. Hey, like, no offense. That taken. shouldn't be like something I'm learning about because you, you yes. came across it in a junk shop. I shouldn't have right. learned about Highlander because I, I, my eye got caught by a, a postcard that I paid a quarter for. Right. The, Have you ever seen looked up how much that's worth? People collect oh, postcards. I. Don't know. I I don't. It, to me, uh, you know, it's like a rookie. It's like a Martin Luther King Jr. rookie it's a card. Rookie card. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Dude. I don't know what anything <laughs> I own is worth. I, it's just, it's just interesting crap to me. Well, when we have a public school system, it's sad that it's incumbent on the individual to have to go search this out. Yes, you do think it should be part of the curriculum to give the real story instead of making Rosa Parks into a mythical figure and creating a story around her that isn't true. Yeah. Why isn't the story Rosa Parks went to a school, became radicalized, mm-hmm. decided to go back and do something <laughs> in her town to affect change. But you, you yeah, did that's learn the it. real you, story. But you, but he did learn it. He got a public education, and then it, what pu- that education did was teach you how to learn and why to, and want and to want to learn. In some way, it you did. said he learned. He did learn it. Who Are you talking you, about? Me? Yeah, like you through 
you whatever you well, went through public education people who are interested in those sorts of things i don't think public education stimulates the majority of people to go out and continue to learn I, you know this, i think it gives you the opportunity to start I'm, I'm making the devil's advocate again but i think it gives you the opportunity to to learn how to start to learn and to it, it, it taught me how to read that taught me how to read and math you know, that, that's a valid I, point. It, it failed teaching me math i don't know math at all <laughs> right <laughs> i i get you know I, I lean toward. I'm not full blown uh, conspiracy theory, but I lean towards they. The public school system does not want to teach us uh, that Helen Keller was a radical. She does. They don't want to teach us that Rosa Parks was not. All the myths that we make up, right. you know, are they take away the radicalism of these people? If you know, so that tells me that if you if you stripped all of these people of where they learned it, why they did it, what they did. You're taking away all the powerful stuff, but yet you're teaching me all of the things the generals and the presidents did. So you didn't strip them of all of their, you know, but you're you're stripping my heroes. You see what I explain yeah. myself well? Then that tells me there's a pattern here. That that means there's a purpose. So but we can't even get know, we can't even get it right in the present. Like what we're doing now, we can't agree on right. who the who the heroes are and who the blah blah. So, well, it's harder know. to do it in the present, and it, it should be. It's easier to look back once history, once the dust is settled. Okay, you know, it's easier to look back once the dust is settled, and you know, you can you can say, well, this person clearly did this. I know at the time they they were dem- they were saying up and down that they did not do it. They did not. I mean, we know Nixon did this. You know, he said he didn't, you know, 62% of the country believed him that he didn't. Well, they were all wrong because here's the proof. It was 62%? Huge percentage were with Nixon. Yeah. So that's encouraging to think that like now a much smaller percent is with a guy that's obviously wrong in history. I mean, that's obviously a liar and history will probably prove that. Yeah. I think it's what's going on right now. We need to wrap this up. This okay, sorry. Hour forty, but I have more hope right now politically than I've ever had in my life. I am, which leads me to another good quote. And here's the reason: I don't. I, oh, I wish I could remember her name right now. She was, she was uh, one of the women that was involved in Highlander with the civil rights movement. Okay, and she said this quote is so great. Uh, she said, "I wake up every day and say." Thank God for chaos. Thank God for chaos. Because when she was a girl, there wasn't chaos. She was just a second-class citizen. She wasn't even a citizen at all in a lot of people's minds, right? And then Martin Luther King and, and all these people and all this movement, they created chaos. They created confusion. They created, yes, violence in some cases. People got killed. People got shot. People, all this stuff and lynches and all. But it was chaotic. Chaotic led to a change for the better. You know, it's not finished. It's not done. The fight right. isn't over, you know, but through chaos, change is possible through chaos. Change is, is really, really, really hard when there's, when everything is status quo, when everything, when the water is still and nothing's moving, you should, oh, change is hard. The, thus Jefferson's admonishment that maybe every generation needed to have its own revolution. Blood replenishes the Republic, right? What what the three of us are living through now, and everybody listening is living through now is chaos. 
Absolutely. It's absolutely possible that we could come out of this thing better off than we were before it. No way. Tom says no way. I say it's possible. I, I think it's possible, too, because we're getting to the point where it either is going to stop functioning completely and we completely go a different direction. And, and what you hope for is a soft revolution, a non-bloodletting <laughs> revolution. They happen. Right. The end of the British Empire was a soft Yes, they do have, yes. Revolution. But they came out much diminished, and we're going to as well. I mean, China's preparing to take over the leadership spot on the world stage. They're, they're putting in the infrastructure. Yeah. They're doing the work. While we continue to fiddle while Rome burns here. Well, we, we have to figure out. Uh, <laughs> I can't do it. I just can't say it. What? You got to say it. I can't say it. Uh, it's Bill Hicks' line. You, oh, okay. okay. It's a good way to end. We, we're Americans, we're still trying to figure out this food air deal. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> China is preparing strategically to take over economically the entire planet Earth. We're trying to figure out. <laughs> If we should be driving Hummers or not, <laughs> you know. All right, everybody. Uh, I'm glad I got to talk about the Highlander Folk School with these two gentlemen, Lowell and Tom, because I've been looking forward to this one since I learned about it. Um, I, I I feel like I'm going to go learn more about it, and I, I want to know if like new movements are attached to it and go there. Like you the can leaders go, of Black Lives visit. Matter go there and yeah. sort of try to learn from it, or to the. It's a lot to to learn. I highly recommend the Bill Moyers thing. It's a good start. You get an introduction to Miles. He's the introduction to himself. It's a good start. But there's some books uh, out there. I've read two of them so far, and they're they're great. Um, I don't remember the titles. Seeds, Seeds of Power is is one. There's another. There's another book. You can't padlock an idea. Is a book, Uh, and that's a uh, you know professor book. That's you know, it was put out by Duke Press or some or South right. Carolina Press or one of those you know college presses. It's that you can't padlock an idea is a book that is written more from the strategy point of view. They're not going to tell you they don't go into that much about Miles and all the crazy gun stories and all that. They're spe- they're focused on how what was his approach of education? How right. was it effective? How was it not? Uh, I read it. It's it's good. Um, if you're a screenwriter, I don't understand how you haven't written this movie yet. It would be great because he hasn't been killed because he didn't get killed because he just died. All, like it no, just seems I like a great a, movie. If I was a screenwriter, I would be writing movies the same way I would write my act. Eight people would be interested in them. You know, <laughs> this is like a, it's got like a smart Forrest Gumpness. Like Martin Luther King wanders through. Rosa Parks is there. You know, like I'm sure there's other people. Pete that Seeger has, was singing the yeah, whole time. It's like they, they yeah. invented they invented uh, Bob Dylan. You know, what I mean, hey, like the whole thing. Here's a here's something that'll make you happy. Uh, back when everybody was accusing this school of being communist, and I mean everybody yes, on the right, everybody on it. the right was 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 trying to paint them with the word communist. Eleanor Roosevelt wrote him a check for $100 and visited the school. Really? Just to get her picture taken while she was there. You know, just just to, as a little, you know, F you to everybody who's, you know. And she did an interview and said, it's a wonderful school. I recommend everybody come here. You know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it was great. All right. Uh, if you're listening to this, uh, Google it. Highlander Folk School. Read. Get lost in it. Thank you for listening. Stuart Huff's Obsessive Curiosities is an on-tour production. Matt Holt, producer. Matt Holt, also 
wrote that sentence. If you want to support us, please rate and review us on iTunes. Anything you do is greatly appreciated. You can visit our Facebook page also at Stuart Huff's Obsessive Curiosities. We'll post items of interest there, and you can chit-chat with other obsessives. I even stop by from time to time to see if I can buy anything from anybody. I've been Stuart Huff. If you've liked my obsession as much as I do, thank you very much for listening to me.